check it out. All right, so we are um, going through the Journey 180. We are... Um, how many have been going through the actual reader? Okay, good, good. So on the back, we are now into the prophets. And because Journey 180 is a historical study, it's a, a timeline-oriented study, we're not going to spend much time in the prophets. Um, we are going to tell you a little bit about them, but we're not going to spend a whole bunch of time in Isaiah and a whole bunch of time in Ezekiel and all these different things because we want to stay true to the, to the timeline. But we handed this out for you. And so let me explain this. This is in the back if you, if you want to grab one of these. And I'm going to grab this off a website and make sure uh, the dates were all accurate and everything. Um, but it's a, it's a great little um, um, timeline piece for the kings and the prophets. Now, everybody turn to 1 Kings chapter... Oh, where should we start? 12. 1 Kings ta- chapter 12. And do a little review. Last Tuesday, for those who aren't here, we talked about where we're at now on the timeline. And, um, of course, if, if you go back, we've got Noah at 2500 BC, approximately. We've got Abraham at 2000. We've got Moses at 1500. And then the thousand, we hit David. And we know David is the middle guy in, in the United Kingdom, the United Monarchy that Israel once had. Their first king, because they got tired of Samuel, they got tired of the whole judge, uh, judges piece. Their first king was Saul. Saul was a bad king. Um, the second king was David. Now, David is classified as a good king, but he jacked up a bunch of different times. Um, and then we get down to Solomon, who started out really good and then really transformed into a not-so-good king. After Solomon, we see in 1 Kings, and I just rattled it off, I think it's chapter 12. Yeah, chapter 12, we, we see Solomon dies at the end of chapter 11. Chapter 12, we have a split in the kingdom. We have two of Solomon's sons who are fighting over who is the next. Now, Jeroboam is the one that's supposed to follow. Rehoboam is the one that sort of leads sort of a little bit of a civil war against Jeroboam. God tells Jeroboam not not to fight back. And what ends up happening is we have a split. And from this point on in the Bible, Israel is no longer united. Israel is no longer just the united kingdom with, with, with the king above it. Um, it is now a split kingdom. And so ten of the tribes, now Israel comes from Jacob, so we, we know Israel is twelve tribes. Ten of those twelve tribes follow Rehoboam and they go north. And Samaria ends up being the capital. Which gives you a hint why people didn't like the Samaritans after that. Okay, So Samaria ends up being the capital. And from now on, the northern kingdom is called Israel. Israel. The southern kingdom now has two tribes remaining. Jerusalem is still um, the headquarters there. And from now on, the southern kingdom is called Judah. 
And so throughout the rest of the Bible, when you see Israel and Judah, it's referring to either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom. And this comes into play as we go through 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and then the Chronicles. Now, another thing we talked about last week is if you take 1 Samuel, 2 oh, Samuel, Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Kings, you have those four books. 1 and 2 Chronicles is basically the same thing as those four. So these two equate to these four. They are a little different. They share a little bit of a different view, sort of like the Gospels share a little bit of a different view of the same story. Okay, But for the most part, everything that happens between Sam or the book of Samuel and the book of Kings happens in the book of Chronicles. Okay, So if you finish 2 Kings and you start going into 1 Chronicles, you go, wait a second, I read this before. It's because you have. Okay, So... That's where we're at on that. Now, now we get to this timeline because as you look through your Bible, and you can just hold your Bible and start flipping pages, you'll start seeing paragraphs and it'll list Rehoboam, king of Judah, Abijah, king of Judah, Asa, king of Judah, Basha, king of Israel, and also you'll, the kings will start splitting up and they'll spend a little time giving you a little synopsis of each king both north and south, both Israel and Judah. So what we did on this is we put them side by side so you can see which kings sort of served at what time and alongside what opposing king. The other thing that is really helpful with this is the prophet. Because some prophets were prophets to the kings of the north, some prophets were prophets to the kings of the south. Some prophets were kings to mo- or were prophets to multiple kings. Some prophets were kings to both south and north. And so that is indicated on here. And so as you follow down the timeline, and again these dates are approximate, you have not only the date that they reigned, but you have the uh, approximate years that they reigned. Now sometimes it's an actual accurate date of how much they reign. You'll see that within within the text. Okay? You'll notice that of the kings of Judah, 12 of them were bad, and 8 of them were good. You'll notice, I, um, it's a little ironic, that the good ones tended to last longer, not always, but for the most part, the good kings had longer reigns, and the bad kings, not so much. You look over on Israel, and they had 19 kings. And not a one of them was good. All 19 were bad. Okay? So as you look down here, you can see the kings when they reigned. You can see um, where they reigned, how long they reigned. And then the important piece is onto the both sides. Which prophet was connected with these? The reason why this helps, and it helped me greatly when I was reading through the Old Testament, is if you just read through the Old Testament straight through, not only will you get to the end of 2 Kings and then retread a bunch of stuff, but then you start getting into the prophets. And you go, I'm hearing this story again. And so the best way to read through it is to read about the king. Like, for example, in chapter 15, read about Asa, king of Judah, Find his prophet and go read the prophet. Or go read the section of that prophet that deals with that. That way you'll keep everything in context. You'll see what the prophet is warning the king to do or not to do and all that kind of stuff. Okay? So throughout the Old Testament, you have how many books in the Old Testament? 39. Okay? There's 66 books in the entire Bible. That leaves how many for the New Testament? Math majors. 
27. All right. So we have 39 and we have 27. In the Old Testament, you've got obviously the first five books, um, the law, the Pentateuch, the Torah, whatever, whatever you want to call that. And then we get into some historical books. But then after we leave the historical books, we get into pretty much the prophets. There is some poetry books sprinkled in there. And we talked about that at an earlier time. Um, but for now on, we're really dealing with prophets. So... Here's one thing I want you to understand, because I didn't understand this. I was in ministry probably 15 years before I finally went, oh, I get that. I always heard the term minor prophets and major prophets. And that didn't make any sense, because I would look at him and go, oh, he was only a minor prophet. Maybe I don't have to read that guy. Um, Oh, he's a major prophet. I need to read him. And then, oh, wait a second. Why doesn't Elijah have a book? And so I'd start going through all these things. The term major prophet is actually very simple. It means their book is longer than the minor prophets. It doesn't mean they're any better than the minor prophets. It's just their book is longer. So Isaiah, it's a long book. He's a major prophet. Obadiah, not so much. He's a minor prophet. Okay? Some prophets, Elisha, Elijah, don't have a book at all. Okay? It doesn't, it doesn't rate the prophets if they didn't get a book published or anything like that. It just, it's just how it fell in. So whenever you hear the term, hey, is the major prophet or they're the minor prophets, that's just telling you how, how big the book is. Okay? So any questions on that as we're rolling through this? Okay, so these, this should help you, um, go through this. Alright, so let's look at, we're gonna put a thumb here and let's go all the way back to Deuteronomy. See Deuteronomy 18. And we'll start in verse 14. And this is going to talk about the office of a prophet. Now, another thing we need to distinguish, and we'll get to this when we get into the New Testament, there's a difference between someone who holds the office of a prophet and someone who has the gift of prophecy. Okay? That's a spiritual gift as compared to the office they hold. And we'll talk about whether that gift is still in, in force. But So let's look at Deuteronomy 18. And we'll start in verse 14. The nations you will dispose, listen to those who practice sorcery and divination. But as for you, the Lord your God has not permitted you to do so. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. For a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, is to be put to death. You may say to yourselves, How can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? If a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord... 
Or if what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be alarmed. Okay, so here's where we see what a prophet is. And of course, uh, Deuteronomy, this is a, a three-sermon piece, Moses' last three sermons, basically, um, to the nation of Israel as they were getting ready to head over into the Promised Land. And so God, um, God lists off, and, and Moses lists off, here's what a prophet is. And Moses himself was a prophet. A prophet is basically a mouthpiece of God. Anybody who is a mouthpiece of God is a prophet. Okay? And God raised up these prophets to be his mouthpiece to his people. We see this in the Old Testament, and we see this in the New Testament. The apostles were prophets, basically. They were mouthpieces of God. Okay? Jesus himself, yes, he was God incarnate, but he was a prophet. He proclaimed God's truth. Okay? So... So we, we get the understanding of a prophet. How do we test whether a prophet is legit or not? What's the test? If what they say If what they say, it needs to come true. Some of the times, most of the time, all the time. Which one? All the time. Even one little mistake, he is not a prophet of God. He is not a prophet of God. And... He's supposed to be put to death. It's very important. Now, most of the civilizations and nations would go to um, witch doctors or divination um, experts or or whatever, and they would try to divine things. Um, they would go to oracles. You see that in ancient Greece um, to try. And God said, "Don't do what your neighbors do. I myself will raise up um, for you a prophet. You need to listen to him or them, because many times um, there are more more than one." Okay? So a prophet is always right 100% of the time. If they're wrong even once, they're done. Okay, So that is the office of the prophet. So we get go all the way back to 1 Kings. And we don't have time. Obviously, we're not going to run through every single prophet, but hopefully you guys will be able to read through those. But I want to highlight a couple of them that were fairly prominent. Um, The first one would be Elijah. The second would be Elisha. And then I'm actually going to go and talk a little bit about Jonah as well. Okay. Now, prophet... When they would uh, proclaim something from God, again, it was, it was, they were God's mouthpiece, as if God was actually speaking to the people. Um, they would either, they would proclaim one of three things. They would proclaim something that is in the now. So it'd be something corrective, um, something, a warning, um, maybe, uh, um, something, um, telling the people they're doing good, whatever it is, but it would be something in the present. The other two things that they would proclaim is future prophecy. And all future prophecy dealt with one or two things. Either the first coming of Jesus or the second coming of Jesus. So when the prophets of the Old Testament would proclaim future prophetic utterances that weren't in the there and now or in the the lifespan of the prophet himself, it would either be about Jesus' first coming, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, okay? So they would, that's where you get all the, um, the, the birth prophecies, the death prophecies, the resurrection, um, all that kind of stuff. Or the second coming, you would see that in Ezekiel and Daniel and Zechariah when we talk about things that 
even to this day, still have not happened. Okay, so prophets would 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 um, talk about one of those one of those three things. For the most part, the prophets were dealing with the kings. Letting the kings know, especially those in the north, that you are not doing what God wants you to do. You need to stop doing that or bad things are going to happen. And that's typically what the prophets were doing. You see that in Amos and most of the, um, the prophets that dealt with the north. If the king was actually doing good, a lot of times it would just be, you're doing good and, and stuff like that. Stay true, keep God's word close to your heart, that type of vibe. Let's look at Elijah. Now, Elijah is one of the earlier prophets. He is not a minor or a major because he doesn't have a book. Poor Elijah. Okay, and let's look at chapter 16. And we're going to look at King Ahab. King Ahab is a crazy little king. Verse 29, in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. Okay, so he was king of Israel. So was he north or south? North. Okay, so just by elimination, was he good or bad? He was bad. All right. And he reigned in in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit sins, the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, but he also married Jezebel, okay, that brings her into the picture, daughter of Ethabel, king of the Sidonians. And he began to serve Baal and to worship him. So again, any king that um, goes out of Israel or goes out of Judah to marry, that's, that's a bad thing. He set up an altar for Baal, another bad thing, in the temple of Baal, and that he built in Samaria. So not only did he set up an altar, he actually built a temple to a foreign god in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole, remember Asherah was the moon goddess, and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. That's a big statement right there. In Ahab's time, Hile of Bethel um, rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, um, Ibrium, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, or Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now that seems a little weird, but do you remember that prophecy that Joshua spoke? And it's in Joshua 16, I believe it's 16, let me, let me check. 26. Okay. 1626. That's close. 1626. Remember, he, he, he told him, don't try to rebuild Jericho. Well, about 500 years later, some guy tried to do it. Didn't work out too well for him. Okay. So God's prophecy was fulfilled right here. Um, so we get to verse or chapter 17. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Okay? So Elijah, mouthpiece of God, looks at the king and gives a prophecy and gives a warning. He said, you know what? Until I say so, which means until God says so, 
There is not going to be rain. You're going to undergo a drought. This would cause a lot of problems as droughts typically do. Now we don't have time to go through all this, but there, 17 is a powerful, powerful chapter. Okay, not only the peace of Elijah being fed by ravens, but Elijah and the widow of Zarephath is a powerful, powerful story. It's one you will definitely want to read. Those of you who are following along are, are going to be reading that or have read that already. Let's go to 18. And let's go all the way to 16. Or 18, or verse 16. So Obadiah went, now this is not the prophet Obadiah, this is just a guy named Obadiah, uh, met with Ahab and told him, and Ahab met with Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. But you and your family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now again, we've mentioned this before. Anytime you see someone is worshiping the Baals or, or Baal worship, sometimes they are actually physically worshiping the god Baal. Sometimes they're just worshiping a foreign god and it just gets lumped into Baal worship, basically non-worship of God. So, Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah who who eat at Jezebel's table. Remember, Asherah is the moon goddess. So Ahab went, or so Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. That's a powerful statement because it applies to us today. How often do we waver between two opinions? The New Testament talks about it. You cannot serve two masters. Okay. So how long are we going to waver between two opinions? Are we going to follow God? Or are we going to follow the world? Okay. But the people said nothing, which is typically our response as well. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. All right, we've got a little competition going. All right, so we've got Elijah, just one, just one prophet of God, one person who's going to stand up, because not only is he the only prophet left, but remember... No one in Israel stood up. So he's not only the only prophet, he's the only follower of God at this moment. And then you have all the people of Israel, you have the 450 Baal prophets, and of course we also know we have um, the Asherah prophets as well. So they both get um, um, a bull, cut it into pieces, lay it upon an altar, and we're going to see which God shows up. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare... Whoops, did I... They skip through. Nope, nope. Choose one of the prophet or, or choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us! They shouted. 
But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah, this is where Elijah gets placed into the cool category. Um, At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. (laughs) Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until the blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their um, frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seas a seed. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, Fill four large jars of water and pour on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Okay, so not only is he doing exactly what the prophets of Baal did, but he's adding to the odds. He's making it harder. Okay, Typically, things that are drenched and saturated in water are not going to catch fire. He didn't do it just once, didn't do it just twice, but he did it three times. And three is an important number in that culture. It means completion. So he, he fully and completely drenched um, this offering. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood and the stones and the soil, and it licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God! The Lord, He is God! Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let any of them get away. They seized them, and Elijah had brought them down to the Kishon Valley and and slaughtered there. Okay, so... Here's one example of what prophets can do, okay? Prophets, many times, not only did they proclaim, not only did they prophesy, but they demonstrated God's power. They, they gave validity to the message through miracle. And we see this even happening in the New Testament. Oftentimes when messages were spoke, it was backed up with miracle. And so not only did that happen, but Eliza just basically whooped up on all the other gods. Saying, guys, are, are you serious? All day these people, all these prophets called out to their gods and nothing happened. And then one, just me, just one follower, called on the Lord God. Didn't take any credit, didn't do the mistake Moses did by taking credit. Didn't take any credit for himself. And God showed up. 
This would happen over and over in the Old Testament because the same circle of sin that followed Israel in Judges would keep going throughout the Old Testament. They would all get prostrate and cry out, the Lord, He is God, and then, sure enough, Israel would start falling away again. Sure enough, Judah would start falling away again. Okay, so Elijah is a fascinating character, um, one you definitely want to read. His story continues to go um, throughout this. And again, one of the one of the sad statements is right after this amazing display. How many of you in here would have just been, "Oh my goodness, that was amazing"? Okay, even if you were the prophet Elijah, you had to step back and go, number one, go. And number two go, whoa, that was amazing. That was incredible. And then we see right after that, Elijah fears and flees fearing his death. Fearing that someone was going to kill him. And so even prophets dealt with this, this doubt sometimes. Even though they were the mouthpiece of God, a lot of times they, they dealt with doubt. Prophets weren't perfect. Prophets had sin. They fell. They made mistakes. Go to 2 Kings. We're just going to touch on this real quick. Um, Elisha, not to be confused with Elijah, ends up taking over that office once Elijah is taken up to heaven. And we see just a... A weird story in there, and the reason why two reasons why I want to read this. Number one is it's it's funny and it's and it's crazy cool. But two, it, it brings the point about that God will not be mocked. That God will be not mocked. Now I need people to right now. If you're in here and you are bald or balding, just raise your hand proud. Just raise your hand proud. If you're in here and you're bald or balding, just raise it proud. Boom. This passage is for you. Here we go. All right. Elijah chapter 2, or Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 23. From here, Elisha went up um, to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him, basically mocked him, made fun of him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. So apparently he was bald. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there returned to Samaria. I love how the Bible, every once in a while, just says, Oh, by the way, this happened. Now, on with the story. And you're like, what? Did that just happen? As mouthpieces of God, prophets were to be revered. And God didn't have much patience for people not only mocking him, but mocking their mouth, mocking his mouthpiece. Now, as we look at this translation, these weren't poor little 12 year old boys who didn't know anything. Most likely they were in their 20s. They were youths, or youths, as my cousin Vinny would say. Um, but again, it, it's something that we, we got to be careful of. A lot of times it's so easy to mock God, to mock um, God's church, to mock God's um, apostles or, or prophets. And here's an example of where that didn't go too well. Um, all right. Another person that um, we're going to skip through. Everybody go to um, Jonah. Okay. Okay. Okay, go to Jonah. Jonah is um, has his own book. Okay, so 
Jonah's about 60% or 70% of the way through your Bible. Jonah is a famous, famous story. And so this is more of an example of a prophet. Um, and the reason why I want to talk about Jonah is because Jonah um, has an interesting and rather weird story in and of himself. And let's just read from verse, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Most of these prophetic books start with that very statement. And the word of the Lord came to fill in the blank. Son of Amnity, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. So the first thing I want you to understand about um, some of the prophets is they didn't necessarily only prophesy or minister to the kings in either Judah or Israel. Sometimes God had them go outside of Israel or Judah and minister to those people. Okay, Nineveh, capital of Assyria, these people um, were more hated than the Samaritans. Um, They were actually a bad group of people, um, pretty detestable. Um, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After um, paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish and to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea. And such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone down below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us, so he or so we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? When, Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them, and they asked, What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you please. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. And then, verse 17, Now the Lord provided, because he's generous, a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. All right, so that's a crazy story. (laughs) So Jonah, prophet Israel, you can look on your timeline to sort of see um, where he was at and when he prophesied. 
and who he was a prophet to. I think. Did they put him on here? Okay. Where's he at? Where's he at? Where's he at? Bottom. Okay. Perfect. So here's Jonah. And did you catch? Now, what are prophets? They are mouthpieces of who? Okay. What did Jonah do that not all the prophets did? He refused service. Said, I'm not picking up this phone call. Okay? So a lot of times God calls and sometimes we don't answer the phone call. Okay? And so here's what we need to understand about Jonah. Number one is Jonah gets a bad name. Actually, if you ever read the book Moby Dick, Moby Dick even uses Jonah as an example of someone who's just absolutely horrific because he didn't listen to God. Um, And so here's Jonah. God asked him, to go be the mouthpiece for me. And at that, Jonah's probably, oh, okay, that's cool. Go do that to the Ninevites. Absolutely not. And Jonah was polite about it. He just turned the other way. Went and got a boat and started heading as far away from Nineveh as the world could offer at that moment. Did you notice how calm Jonah was throughout this? Sleeping down there, caught the sailors off guard because the professionals were freaking out. And here's this guy just laying there. Why was he calm? He knew exactly why this was all happening. He knew what he was doing, and he was deliberately disobeying God. Now, when they asked him to call upon the Lord, what was, and asked, how can we calm this sea? Throw me in the ocean. Not, you know what, I need to repent. If I just repent... Then it will go down. Because if Jonah would have said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think the sea would have stopped. Jonah's on now. Just throw me in. Just throw me in. Jonah was willing to die for his disobedience. And then God provided a huge fish. Okay? It wasn't necessarily a whale. The Bible never says whale. Okay? So, so we get here and we look at this story and we go, man, Jonah's a punk. Well, what's he doing? He... He's in a privileged position. He's a prophet of God. Here's why Jonah did not want to prophesy to the Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites. It would be akin to say, if there were a prophet today, and God said, hey, on September 12th, 2001, I need you to go and witness to the terrorists and tell them that was not a good thing you did. And you need to repent and accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. How many people the day after 9-11 would have said no? And just folded your arms. Said, God, I love you, but I just can't smile. There's no way. It's not happening. Jonah was actually a patriot. Jonah was putting his country first. Hoorah. He was He was a patriot. Here's the, here's the gist of the story. God comes before country. God comes before everything. God has a plan. Jonah wasn't listening to God. And God had a plan for Jonah. He had a plan for the Ninevites. He had a plan, and he took the other way. And so God was patient. God first used the word, his word. And God, typically in our lives, he will first speak to us through his word. Okay? We talk about prophets today. This is our prophet today. This is the mouthpiece of God today. God will speak through His Word. If we do not listen to God's Word and we disobey and we turn the other way, and He will bring a storm. 
He will bring something to get our attention. In Jonah's life, first it was the word, then it was the wind. If we ignore the storm, he will bring the whale. He will bring that fish. He will grab us. He will do something to shake us to our core until we turn around and follow him. Could take a week, could take a month, could take many, many years. But God will never give up on his people. And he will always pull in. And chapter 2 of Jonah is powerful. Because here Jonah is in the belly of a huge fish and he begins to pray. He finally goes, all right. (laughs) And he begins to pray. And his prayer is powerful. Let's read it, actually. It'll be fun. All right. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And by the way, there are fish big enough to swallow a man. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. And the currents swirled about me. He must have misspoke. Currents weren't discovered until 2,000 years later. Um, As all your waves and breakers swept over me, I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I sank down and down to the earth beneath barred me forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who are clinging to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish... And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Okay? Jonah eventually goes begrudgingly to Nineveh. He preaches salvation to the people. It ends where Jonah's still not really being that great of a, <laughs> that great of a prophet. But here's what we need to look at. Imagine how uncomfortable that was for Jonah. God's will in your life isn't going to be comfortable. Um, I can't imagine what it would be like. In the movies, um, especially in the cartoons, we see the big ships in the belly of the whale, and there's lanterns and Pinocchios. Like, what are you? And then they're looking around. and and Or maybe sometimes there's an old Mountain Dew commercial where they're playing poker. In the This is horrible. This is horrible. Imagine being in, in anything's belly. Um, imagine the acid. Imagine the alone. Imagine the darkness, the, everything wrapped around you. Imagine how terrifying that would have been. Imagine how terrifying that would have been for Jonah, the world's first submariner, as he cruises down below the depths of the sea, absolutely alone. And sometimes God's whale in your life is actually going to be giving you exactly what you wanted. God gave Jonah separation. You want to be separated from me? I'm going to separate you as far as any human's ever been separated. I'm going to show you what hell really will be like. Hell means separation. 
Jonah probably felt more separation than any human at that moment. God gave him exactly what he was running to. And it took three days for Jonah to finally go, this, this, this is meaningless. <laughs> Just chasing after the wind. And he finally turned to God. And so as we look through the prophecies, as we look through um, um, the minors, the majors, all the prophets, we see this over and over again. God using a prophet as a mouthpiece, trying to convince Israel to come back to him, trying to convince, at most times, even Judah to come back to him. It didn't work out. Eventually, Israel would disappear. You'll notice on your timeline, all of a sudden, oh, where did Israel go? Well, the Assyrians got them. Okay? They're done. There's only two left. Israel's forever gone. Those ten tribes would be gone. They would assimilate into the cultures. And so all you have is the two southern tribes. And as we we move on up to um, um, Jesus, you'd end up with just Judah. So all you have is the southern kingdom, and they didn't last much longer. After that, you get down to the southern kingdom. They weren't destroyed. They were taken captive, and we'll get to that in later weeks. A couple things before we open for questions. On your timeline, just if you're curious what's happening on the rest of the world, um, somewhere around in the 800s BC, Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. So that famous story was written right around there. Um, 1770 or 776 BC is when the first Olympic Games were held. The first ancient Olympic Games, not the, the numbers that we're currently counting up from. 776. So, Jonah could have gotten a gold medal if that event would have been entered. Um, somewhere around the flip side, around starting around 7, 771, and this, this was actually a... a a, a long period of time. The Great Wall in China started being built. It first started with several fortresses laid out throughout China. And then eventually they would start connecting these fortresses with walls. Um, that all started happening around there. The founding of Rome happens right around where Hosea was um, um, the prophet um, to Shalem. So that was around eh, about 750-ish, somewhere around there. Um, you get all the way down, the Great Wall is finally connected all the way down at the bottom in the 500s. You see Plato and Socrates, Aristotle, those guys all started hitting um, in the 400s. Um, so the world's starting to move and starting to groove. Um, the Western Hemisphere still really isn't picking up. We're, um, we got the ancient Olmecs that are doing some civilized things, but that would still come actually post-Jesus that most of the Western Hemisphere started um, really starting to do things. So that's basically the prophets. That's what a prophet is. Um, so any questions on that? And some of these I might I might say we'll talk about in a future week because it will hit a little closer to that. Um, including the topic, are there, are there currently prophets? Are there modern day prophets? We'll talk about that at a future time. But, yep. Hi. Yes, sir. Given the criteria of a prophet of God, that all prophecies come true, how do we tackle the second coming of Jesus' prophecies that haven't happened yet? Okay, so prophets are only held accountable to that first part of the prophecy, the ones that happen within their lifetime. So obviously, prophecies that happen future, you're not going to hold um, that um, um, prophet accountable. Um, 
and, mo- and so that wouldn't be a test um, for the prophet. Now, ultimately it would. We can look back at the first coming and go, wow, 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 wow. The, all those guys were dead on. And so it, as you look back, it validates um, the prophecies. And at some point, few other prophecies will be validated. But the, the true test of a prophet is if, some, if they have an utterance that is from um, their mouth, they say, for example, the end of the world is going to happen in 1976, and that does not happen. Um, that is a false prophet. Okay? Right. Anything af- after that? And that's the irony. Some, some, we, we see some of the um, end of the world prophecies. It won't happen. And then the very next year, they'll, they'll, they'll add a new prophecy and people will sell their, their livelihoods to follow it. And so, um, reason why prophes- uh, prophecies are important is number one, one of the greatest testaments of why the Bible is authentic, the resurrection of Jesus, all, all these things, you look back into the prophecies that were foretold 700,000 years before Jesus even walked the earth, and no human could possibly have fulfilled that. And so it goes to validate, speaking from the grave basically, validating the authenticity of the Bible. False prophecies will go to um, devalidate. Okay, So you look at some prophecies from maybe some cults out there, and you go, ooh, that didn't come true. Not only did that come, not come true, that was a total contradiction of what, what happened. It, and, and you go, well, then that was probably a false prophet. And we should not follow those people. Okay? Any other? Okay, um, so we're going to start um, dipping in. We're going to talk about captivity. We're going to get in and... and, and um, we are going to unpack Daniel and um, Ezekiel eventually because that, uh, their prophecies are, will come into play when we get uh, um, to Jesus. Um, and then, of course, when we get to the very end, um, Revelation, which is not the May Revolution, by the way. That was a typo. Um, Revelation, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. Now, of course, we're not going to spend too much time on Revelation because you can go watch a whole thing on Revelation um, from last year. So any final questions before we go? Okay. Uh, let me see real quick. All right, one other one other thing I want want to toss out. Um, be praying. I'm, I've been. Um, um, we had a, a a young man. Well, not young, thirty, um, younger than me. Um, come into um, starting point. I don't know. Um, John, is Jonathan here by chance? Is he out here? Okay. So Jonathan, he came in, great guy. Um, he came in to um, the starting point, and it was a 5 o'clock service, and he was the only one in there. So he got to ask all the questions possible. And it turns out he's, he, he's an LDS member, and um, long lineage, and he's happily and proud and, and, and all that. And he just wants to ask questions, and he was just looking for questions. This, this is different. Normally it's door-to-door. This, he actually came to a starting point of... Of Cornerstone and started asking questions. And so, for whatever reason, they said, Hey, you need to just talk to Chris. And I'm like, Okay. And so we get this email, and he's got a whole bunch of lists about blah, 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 blah. And I get this, and, and Lydia's all, Go meet with him. I'm like, huh? <laughs> like, 
<laughs> Each one of these is a meeting. And so, sure enough, last, uh, last night um, um, he came and we got to sit down and it was just a great, great talk, and, and which is rare because normally um, there's the spirit of contention and everybody leaves. And But this one, <laughs> this one was great. And so he just asked question after question after question. Hey, so what are your beliefs on this? Well, what's Cornerstone's beliefs? Um, why do you have an elder board? Why do you have that? Just going through all this stuff. And turns out he has an LDS website. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and which is cool. And so we just talked for two hours and then I got to ask some questions, um, which was good. And so the reason why I say that is pray for us because um, we're, we're going to continue the conversation. He's agreed to continue to meet. Um, I really... Um, um, didn't get too deep. I tried to answer some questions. Um, my main thing is, was actually extra biblical um, because right now, um, for for him, the uh, scriptures are contaminated, so it wasn't much of a foundation for me to launch off on. So I just started. I really asked him, "Can you explain to me God? Can you explain to me who is God to you? And is is your God? Uh, obviously, you don't believe in the Trinity. Um, you believe in um, um, three gods there. And so, is, is your God omnipotent? And so, I just started a, a, a fun topic of is your God all powerful? And he said, yes, absolutely. And and so I said, well, then is Jesus God? Yes. Well, is Jesus all-powerful? Yes. And I'm like, well, how does that logically happen? Because two all-powerfuls negate both. And so we just start talking about all these philosophical things. And so we went all the way back into history. <laughs> Fascinating conversation. But just pray for it because um, he's definitely searching. And I'm not being fake. I'm, I'm definitely searching. I'm going to see what they believe and, and make sure I'm not doing anything whack either. So we're, we're both we're both just um, journeying. And hopefully um, God will just um, be able to lead my words and um, really, really hopefully be able to get him to think outside of maybe some of the, the, the tinted windows he might be looking at. Um, so be praying for me on that. But it, it's a fun little topic. He, he said that he'll, he'll be coming to church and stuff like that. So pretty cool stuff. So, um, um, yeah, so pray, praying for that. Any other um, questions? Yes? Uh, again, remind everybody that the Mayan Bible Study does have a, a prayer group. So uh, we're definitely going to be adding Jonathan to that. But if anyone else here tonight has a prayer that they would like to submit, um, right outside on the, the table, we've got prayer request forms. We'd love to be able to pray for you. So that's just a reminder that I wanted to make. Very cool. Yes, definitely. And thank you for those. By the way, um, the mind doesn't just happen okay <laughs> it, 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 there, there is a process so we've got guys in the back that are spending their nights helping out we've got obviously mike and his team here doing a great job um, the setup team setting this up for us instead of um, being over there so it's just a it, it's a cool thing to see people coming together to uh, study the word yes yes is that on now okay there it is <laughs> Uh, just a uh, just just a word for the for the people who don't know. Uh, Manny Mello's mother passed away, and uh, so prayers prayers for the Mello family. Manny is out in California, and hopefully we'll be back next week. Okay, yep. So um, lift Manny, uh, lift Manny up in prayer, and then one more announcement. And then we'll actually pray and, and, and close this out. Um, if you guys have been part of this whole the whole building campaign and, and looking at the, the going to the different um, um, different banquets, um, just one thing: if you have not turned in um, your card, please do that um, quickly because that's going to help us see where we need to go on the next step. So if you haven't done that yet, um, please do that. All right. So let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for for who you are and we thank you for the bible who is 
the mouthpiece for us today. Um, we thank you for your word, and, and we thank you for this country we live in that gives us the freedom um, um, to do this. Heavenly Father, we lift up Manny, we lift up his family, um, and all those involved. I just pray for peace and um, um, just just a time uh, uh, to bond with the family. And Heavenly Father, I, I, I pray that your name is lifted up in that situation. Heavenly Father, I lift up... Um, Jonathan, I, I just pray that you be with both of us, that um, you really lead us, um, give us your wisdom. Um, Heavenly Father, uh, illuminate the things that need to be discussed and the things that need to be challenged. Um, Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for each and every person in this room. We thank you for those that have gone before us, these prophets of old who, who took a stand, and they weren't perfect by any stretch, but they took a stand um, in scary, scary situations for you. And I just pray that you give us the courage um, to do the same thing. Um, We love you and we praise you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.